shop here uh, in Times Square, but we'll be we'll be right with it and we'll start the recording. Hey everybody, this is Harvey Sluggo Wasserman back for another session, the number 92 of the Green Grassroots Emergency Election Protection Coalition, otherwise known uh, both inside and outside of New Orleans as the Gree Gree. We deal with uh, uh, topics of, of major importance to our elections and to our environment. We have a really full boat today. We are broadcast or rebroadcast uh, every Thursday at 5 p.m. Eastern time on the Progressive Radio Network, PRN.LIVE. Uh, we have 60 people on the call to start. Uh, it's great to see everyone. Those of you listening in on the radio, we're glad to have you with us. Our websites are grassrootsep.org and electionprotection2024.org. Um, we are uh, uh, having an amazingly packed agenda today. Uh, we're going to start with a quick announcement from Jennifer Roberts from the Carter Center. Uh, she has a major event coming up later this week. I do want to uh, mention, by the way, today is April 25th. Tomorrow is the commemoration of the uh, uh, meltdown the, and explosion at uh, Chernobyl in Ukraine, which has been occupied by Russian troops who, when they finally figured out how radioactive the place is, abandoned it. And uh, there's a lot to talk about, about what's going on at Chernobyl. But tomorrow uh, is the anniversary of the catastrophe. If you want to uh, commemorate the catastrophe the way it needs to be, uh, uh, go to get the HBO series on Chernobyl. It's a five-part series, uh, eight hours. I suggest you binge watch it in a single day because any day that you watch it, you will not be able to sleep that night. It is an incredibly powerful piece. And I highly recommend to everybody the HBO series on Chernobyl. Um, we also have, and we will discuss later in this first hour, um, a pro-nuclear piece of legislation that has just passed the Ohio House that defies the imagination. We also have a bill proposed, and we will talk a bit about this uh, in, the, in the federal uh, Congress by Joe Manchin to promote nuclear exports. But our primary focus today is going to be on elections. We're going to, uh, after we get our announcement from Jennifer uh, when she joins us from the Carter Center, uh, Joel Siegel, our co-convener. Uh, and we are, by the way, engineered by Mike Hirsch uh, and co-engineered. And our website master is Steve Caruso. Uh, uh, and uh, they have been with us right from the start. They're truly great. Um, uh, uh, Joel Siegel is going to talk about uh, some horrifying uh, instances of uh, violence already being perpetrated against election officials in this country. As many of you probably know, and Steve, maybe if you can dig up the quote, Steve Bannon has um, announced that he is going to take over our elections and uh, do what our, our, any right winger would do, which is turn them over to Putin, basically. And we already have some really horrendous instances of people being seriously harassed and threatened, um, including their families. And Joel Siegel, uh, a former staffer for uh, Representative John Conyers uh, and an illustrious career 
in, in the Congress and now in election protection is gonna tell us at least one of those stories. We're also gonna be joined by Hal Ginsburg of Our Revolution. Our Revolution is spearheading the effort to um, disqualify um, um, representatives, uh, starting with Marjorie Taylor Greene, the infamous, uh, who participated in the insurrection of January 1st. Uh, as many of you probably know, we did have a civil war in this country. And after it, um, uh, the abolition of slavery, uh, the 14th Amendment uh, basically prevent, was partly designed uh, to prevent uh, former Confederates from uh, joining the National Congress. And that, that was very clearly made part of our Constitution and our, our, our revolution and how Ginsburg are leading the charge on that. Uh, then we're gonna talk about the nuclear stuff uh, with Pat Morita from Columbus and uh, others uh, on uh, exactly what the craziness is. And uh, we may get a, a quick word, uh, if you can, to talk on what's happening with the national war uh, that's being waged against solar energy. We have very important reports from him and Ron Leonard uh, from California, Florida, and New York, where this is really, really hit the, hit the fan. In the second hour, starting at 6 p.m. Eastern time, 3 p.m. Pacific, we're gonna be joined by Nina Turner, uh, uh, formerly um, uh, high up in the Bernie Sanders campaign, who is trying to run for the US Congress in Ohio, uh, except for a slight problem, which is that we don't have districts in Ohio, that the, the redistricting process is being fought out despite the clear wishes of the Ohio electric. electorate. We'll also be joined by Nicole Sandler, a radio talk host based in Florida, where the fight is also raging. And just to give you an idea, uh, Florida has 27 uh, representatives to Congress. Ohio has 15. And the way that the Republicans have now, and we are nonpartisan, by the way, and Democrats are doing some substantial gerrymandering in, in New York uh, and Maryland, but in uh, Florida and Ohio, the Republicans have the power to flip more than enough seats uh, than they'll need to control Congress. We're, we're talking about uh, up to 15 seats being in Congress being gerrymandered into uh, oblivion, essentially. So we're gonna be joined by Nina Turner, uh, by Nicole Sandler, uh, by uh, Alan Minsky of Progressive Democrats of America. And starting at six, we're gonna have a basically a 40 minute conversation uh, on gerrymandering and of course, your comments and questions will be uh, welcome throughout the dialogue. So um, is Jennifer Roberts with us? Uh, Jennifer, can you raise your hand? Do we see Jennifer Roberts um, uh, from the car? There you are. Okay, Jennifer, you are in a car. The only no, rule of our, of our oh, I guess you're not in a car. You said you were gonna be in a car. I decided uh, the only rule aside from no personal attacks on our calls is that if you're in a car, it cannot be moving. Uh, yep. At least you can't be driving. So well, uh, uh, I, we had, uh, by the way, we had in Teaneck uh, this past week, a woman who gave birth in a car, uh, but she was not driving, thankfully. So uh, Jennifer, <laughs> you're not driving. You have an event coming up this Friday uh, in affiliation yep. with the Carter Center. Can you tell us about it and put the link in the chat if you would? 
Absolutely. And uh, Harvey, I decided that you were too important for me to jump in my car. And so I'm going to wait till after I speak and then I will jump in my car and go to my event. <laughs> okay, go for it. Thank you. So I, uh, I wanted to, uh, to be able to focus on this and great to see everybody. Thanks for joining. Uh, there's so many people trying to protect our elections, our basic democratic principles. And the Carter Center, uh, as you know, has been working on this initiative for the last year and a half. They're focusing on several states that are battleground states. And this Friday is a live stream event that is open to anyone with the link. Um, it starts at uh, 9.45 with a welcome by Barbara Smith of the Carter Center and Paige Alexander, the current president and uh, of the Carter Center. And the main uh, panels are going to be answering these questions. Can a presidential election be stolen? Should we be worried about our elections? And legislation audits and action at the state level. Uh, so it's a lot to cover in a day. Um, some of the folks who will be speaking um, include Benjamin Ginsburg and Robert Bauer um, discussing the current electoral landscape in America. Uh, they'll speak about their experiences as co-chairs of the Bipartisan Presidential Commission on Election Administration. And we'll consider whether a bipartisan commission like theirs or the Carter Baker Commission could address some of our current challenges. Uh, we will also have uh, Karen Brinson Bell um, in the afternoon session. She is the current um, uh, head of our North Carolina State Election Board uh, and has done a great job. And they're going to have other election officials and experts from around the country talk about some of the legislative changes that this group has been talking about quite a bit, audits, extrajudicial election reviews, um, harassment of election officials. And uh, again, this is going to be the first of um, several events they're holding with experts around the country. The idea is to restore faith in our election processes, to help be more transparent, and to get some of uh, the folks who are intimately involved uh, to help explain it and to work to have peaceful, fair, safe, and secure elections. And the Carter Center is worried about the connection between violent um, aggression and elections. Uh, I know that here in North Carolina, um, our election workers, uh, the average election worker has worked six or seven elections. They know what they're doing, but they are very concerned uh, about some of the threats that they're receiving, uh, as is true all around the country, uh, as everybody on this, this call knows. Anyway, um, the link was put in the chat early on. Um, I think Stephen did that. If you could do that again, Stephen, so folks who joined late can uh, can sign on. You do have to register to sign on, but uh, other than that, you can uh, join us on Friday. I'll be there in person in the audience. I'm not speaking, but uh, uh, very interested to hear what the officials say, what the questions are, and what some of the chatter is going to be um, with other folks from the Carter Center who are going to be present. Um, again, um, thank you for, for letting me say a few words. Thanks for sharing and uh, hope that uh, many of you can join us on Friday. Well, Jennifer, I want to let everybody know who doesn't, you've been a regular uh, with us uh, since the start. Jennifer is the former two-term mayor of Charlotte, North Carolina, and one of the great activists uh, for democracy in our country. Uh, we look forward to her presidency in 2028. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. and uh, we want to, um, uh, I want to give you a heads up. 
a big ambition of ours on these calls is to link the Carter Center with the League of Women Voters, with uh, the Brennan Center, yep. with uh, uh, you know the Center for Common Ground, with the NAACP, and we're joined by the, the great Ray McClendon from the Atlanta NAACP. Um, yeah. uh, so we want to have in two or three weeks a session where we get as many of the major pro-democracy organizations as possible uh, on the same call. So uh, I'm giving well, you a heads up on that, and we, we really perfect. need to do that. Okay. Terrific. And yeah, the other thing to know is the Carter Center is reaching out to the uh, Reagan Institute and the Bush Institute because this has got to be bipartisan, cross-partisan. We have all got to work together to shore up democracy. And there are uh, some folks on the right side of the aisle who recognize that there are shenanigans going on and they want to help too. I and mean, we're getting great cross-partisan support here in North Carolina. Uh, and we hope, especially once the primaries are over May 17th, that we'll get even more of that. So uh, keep spreading the word. We'll hope to see you on Friday. Thank you, as always, Harvey. Thank you, Jennifer. And thank you for bringing the Carter Center into the mix with us. As I said, Ray McClendon is on from the Atlanta NAACP. We have other major organizations represented. Jennifer, thank you. It's always an honor to have you on. Uh, we have 95 people on the call. And we're going to go right away now to Joel Siegel, who's in North Carolina and who has been witnessing uh, and is gonna tell us about some of the actual harassment and threats of violence that are being leveled at, at, at uh, election <laughs> workers. Uh, Joel, a uh, uh, former staffer uh, <coughs> with uh, John Conyers and one of the great activists in our country. Uh, Joel, can you give us some of these um, uh, all too true horror stories, please? Yeah, hi, good evening, everyone. Uh, Harvey, thanks for bringing everybody together for this call, Jennifer Roberts, my former mayor and high school college comrade, thank you for your leadership on this issue. And Mike Hirsch and Stephen Caruso with your work to make sure these Zooms work. Very exciting to have Nina Turner uh, on tonight. So what I'm gonna talk about is a very serious threat that I think is uh, under the radar of the Congress, Biden administration, and even the FBI. One in five US election workers may quit amid threats. Now, I've been working in elections for 40 years. I, I never remember in my lifetime election workers being threatened by anybody. And I'll just, I'm going to just give you, I'm going to, I'm going to go about five minutes and then I'm going to split, but I'm, I'll be on the broadcast, but we got a lot of speakers here. But so this is from the uh, Brennan Center for Justice New York City, just to let you know, I'm not, not making this up. U.S. local election officials are increasingly concerned about threats and political pressure fueled by baseless allegations of voter fraud in the last presidential race, and one in five say they are somewhat or very unlikely to stay in their jobs through 2024, the 2024 contest national survey showed. In the poll of nearly 600 election officials, more than 75% said threats against election administrators and staff have increased in recent years. The percentage saying they are very worried about political leaders interfering in future elections has nearly tripled since before 2020. Now I'm gonna read some very salient facts and then I'm gonna comment about them. About one in six election officials reported in the poll that they have been threatened personally 
and more than half those cases were not reported to law enforcement. I want you to remember that, not reported to law enforcement. If you're threatened by someone, threatened can mean somebody wants to kill you, someone wants to create bodily harm, and you don't report it to law enforcement, that's a real problem. Nearly a third of the respondents said they feel their local government could do more to support them. More than 75% said the federal government should do more to support them. Now, here's two very important facts. More than 40% were completely unaware of a task force set up last year by the U.S. Department of Justice to investigate and prosecute threats against election officials. The survey showed, and most of the rest said they'd heard of it but don't know much about it. To date, the task force has made two arrests. Wow. Now, I want you to think about the math here. 900 threatening and hostile messages to election administrators and staff in 17 states, almost all alluding to former President Donald Trump's false claims of a stolen election, but only two arrests. Hmm. What would happen if Al-Qaeda or ISIS had threatened 900 election officials? Do you think there would only be two arrests? I don't think so. Um, oh, you had a, a remarkable you have a remarkable case in North Carolina. With, and let's not name this person. But can you tell us what's been happening with our, our subject number one here? Yes, I mean, it's terrifying. A person working on election integrity who actually we all know quite well was being um, followed by a car with tinted windows, her husband and her children walking in Raleigh, North Carolina being threatened multiple times by phone calls uh, by an, a, a car that keeps following her to the point where the children are now in therapy because they're worried about being killed. My life was threatened in law school at UNC Chapel Hill because of work I was doing around Native American rights. And I, I had to go into hiding and um, I, I called the FBI and they told me to do a press conference. So I kind of mentoring this person who now is quitting her work because of these threats. So the, what's really important, there's a great book that I hope all of you can read, Strong Men by Ruth Ben-Gott, Mussolini to the present. If you study the history of fascism, this is exactly how it starts. Mussolini had, what were they called? Brown shirts, black shirts, Harvey? Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, his were brown shirts, I believe. And what 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 were Hitler's? They always have some shirt. They were brown shirts too, actually. Right. All right. So the great manipulators from above, whether it was Mussolini, Hitler, or now you know Trump, 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 Putin, or I'm sorry, Trump, Putin, or Trump, Stalin. I get his name confused. I think the Trump operation is funding and paying uh, people to harass, intimidate, and threaten. Because it's too well organized. It reminds me of, of, of 1 6, the assault on the Capitol. 10 states have passed laws, Democratic states are passing laws where if you are threatening um, a, a, a uh, election worker, you're going to get like a, maybe a year, six months to a year in jail or a penalty of a few thousand dollars. I, I don't think that that's punitive enough. I think it needs to be much harsher and much stricter. I think it needs to be a few years in jail and a much larger fine. You got to 
You got to scare people to realize that threatening people is illegal. Also, it's the these Facebook posts and there's there has to also be monitoring of uh, Facebook. And um, I'll conclude by saying, I don't know if, if many of you remember Contel Pro. This was the wonderful J. Edgar Hoover who disrupted uh, the Black Panthers and the uh, FBI infiltrated, you know, Malcolm X's uh, The Nation of Islam and uh, SDS, et cetera. And they spent tens of millions of dollars, you know, breaking up these uh, grassroots organizations for the people who were by and large peaceful. I don't understand why the FBI um, does not go in there and, and break up um, and, and do the research necessary to bring these people to justice. I don't think I don't think it's a priority of the administration, quite frankly. I have not heard President Biden talk about it. I've not seen any press conferences by um, uh, Merrick Garland. I haven't heard a member of Congress say anything. This is very serious. And we, we in the grassroots are going to have to sound the alarm and demand that our elected officials and our government intervene and do something because they're not doing, I can't curse. They're not doing okay. spot. And, and well, the I, first they I'm can gonna do- agree with you 100%. Um, I'm gonna call real quickly, Joel. Uh, I'm, I'm Mimi Kennedy is with us. Mimi I'm done, I'm done. The great Mimi Kennedy, one of our great election protection activists, also star of Mom and uh, Midnight in Paris. Uh, Mimi, you have had personal experience as well uh, with harassment uh, of post of, of election workers. And by the way, we have 103 people on the call. So go ahead, Mimi, please. Yeah, thank you, Harvey. This is amazing. Um, you know, we have a large um, immigration uh, population here from El Salvador and Guatemala and Central America, and they know that this is how democracy, as it was tried um, very weakly, but nonetheless tried in their countries, it is undermined by the harassment and the deaths of local officials. And when there is no strong central government, a mayor is killed, you know, a county supervisor is threatened. If there is no uh, constitutional central government that cares about this, yes, we are in trouble because people who don't believe in democracy have armed themselves in some ways they have outgunned the police. And I don't know how the second amendment calling for a well-regulated militia is not understood to have regulation and part of it. But the situation that we are in can only be overcome, but it can be overcome by the fact that our elections returned to paper ballots. I was harassed uh, when I was fighting uh, digital elections between 2002, really, and 2016, 18. Um, and I was harassed online. You know, they, they, it was cleaner then. I've made this point often that it's much easier to undermine democracy in the dark and computers made it easy, just like it makes stealing money easy, than it is to undermine uh, democracy out in front because uh, you have to do a lot of bullying and threatening, but it is happening as Joel points out. When you're a poll worker, you are dependent on your county for protection. We have a good county registrar, Emily Levy with Scrutineers is always encouraging to get her groups to make uh, contact with their county registrar and election office so that there can be at least a feeling of alliance and support. And that is some strength. 
uh, counties are run by sheriffs. <laughs> LA County is having a problem with our sheriff right now. Nobody's quite sure whose side he's on. So we are in what I would call the Central American problem in many of our states and states' rights always rises to the fore saying the federal government can't tell us how to run elections. But as someone pointed out, the federal government can say you can't threaten people with violence while we're trying to conduct democracy. That's a clear bright line in, in my head. And um, I'm gonna try to message that, but thank God we do have a paper ballot infrastructure now and it will take brave people to work it. And some states are in worse uh, trouble than others. But Joel, thank you for your work. And thank you, Jennifer, and everybody who's here, because we can do this. It's when you're poor and there's scarcity and you don't know what to do that the bullies really can take over. But in this country, it's going to be a lot harder and we will fight back. We will. Well, thank you so much, back. Mimi. And I, I, you are really deep in the nitty gritty. Uh, we are having election workers uh, being removed all over the country uh, in, in a partisan manner, uh, really trying to fulfill uh, 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 Steve Bannon's uh, game plan. Joel, did you have anything else you wanted to jump in with? I do want to call on Ray McClendon if he's still with us. Raymond, uh, if you can tell us what's going on in Georgia uh, with the election boards there, uh, it's absolutely terrifying. Uh, Joel, do you want to jump in? And yeah, just briefly, hey, Ray McClendon, I, I do think Congress has to pass strong federal legislation or the, or the executive branch needs to issue guidelines through the Department of Justice. You can do this through an executive order, by the way, to say if anyone is, you know, convicted of, let's, let's use the word terrorism, okay? Terrorism against election workers, they should go to jail for a minimum of three years, not one, and pay a fine of at least $50,000. Hey, hey, Mimi, very good, everything you just said. Thank you. Um, you can't tolerate fascism. That, that's when it becomes a major force. I, I, want, I hope everyone reads the New York Times this morning because something even more dangerous is happening. And that's that the far right wing uh, uh, conservative Christian movement is now spreading the big lie that Trump won the election. It was taken away by the Democrats. So now you've got these anti-abortion, anti-gay, anti-Muslim, so-called Christian, they're hardly Christian, who are now um, saying that the, the elections were stolen. Now, this is really dangerous stuff. So it you have a Yeah. Um, um, uh, Joel, uh, great stuff. I want to get um, uh, Ray McQuentin in to tell us what's exactly going on in Georgia. Uh, it's it's beyond terrifying, Raymond. Ray is the uh, political director of the Atlanta NAACP and a major architect of the Georgia Miracle or Georgia Way, which flipped the two Senate seats uh, in Georgia in 2021. Uh, Raymond. Hello. Thanks, everybody. Uh, just want to say that uh, we are ramping up in earnest now for early voting, which starts on uh, May 2nd here for our primary elections uh, where election day is May 24th. So we are already orga organizing across the state with the same team of collaborators that we had in, in 2020 and for the January of 2021 runoff for the two Senate seats. So that is up and running, phone banking, text banking, uh, canvassing will start in, in another week or so 
and we'll be having uh, weekend events for the two weekends of early voting, which will be the weekend of the 7th and the 14th. Uh, all of what Joel talked about earlier has been going on here in Georgia for uh, months. We've had some good reporting on it by Reuters, um, by uh, our good friend Steve Rosenfeld and others who have uh, been trying to get the, the word out. Uh, but it is a critical problem where people are being threatened, intimidated, and replaced with uh, Trump sycophants uh, across the state, uh, all in preparation for 2024. So the 2022 elections are critical that the House uh, be maintained in control of the Democrats so that hopefully we can get some voting rights legislation passed that can stem the tide of what's going on in the states uh, reversed uh, by federal legislation. One, one other note, I want to say that the uh, first vice president of the Atlanta NAACP, Gerald Griggs, was just elected to the office of president of the NAACP State Conference. And our Atlanta president was just named to uh, the uh, be state treasurer of the NAACP State Conference. So I'll be taking over as political action chair for uh, the state of Georgia NAACP uh, within the near future. So we'll be able to collaborate um, even more consistently across the state. Well, we need that. This is a very, very big deal. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, as, as Bannon very clearly is moving in on the election apparatus um, and, and the, the, the control of uh, how the votes are cast and who gets to count, cast them, this is, this is a real serious problem. Nowhere uh, have they, people fought back more effectively than you, Ray, in, in Georgia. So keep, keep in touch with us and keep us going here. Uh, I want to welcome uh, our BC uh, uh, Williams and uh, Illinois, how you doing? Dennis uh, Bernstein, the great radio commentator with the Flashpoint show on the Pacifica Network. Also, Wendy Lederman in Florida, good to see you. I want to go now to Hal Ginsburg uh, at the Our Revolution. Hal, are you unmuted? Uh, we want to talk about your incredible work, which segues directly into this. Uh, we know that we've had uh, some of the insurrectionists from uh, January 1st running for election and re-election. And under the 14th Amendment, uh, former Confederates uh, and insurrectionists uh, are not allowed uh, to do that. How, what legal action, since Joel has emphasized the need for uh, legal action, what legal action is our revolution pursuing uh, uh, on this issue of insurrectionists get, taking over our government? Well, first of all, Sluggo, I want to thank you so much for having me on this call. You've been so gracious to have me speak of our activities uh, in terms of holding insurrectionists accountable. I also do want to thank the other speakers we've had. I'm just so impressed with the efforts to protect the ballot and make sure that there's access and that we make voting rights a true right, uh, which is what it should be. Uh, what we're doing is kind of uh, the, the flip side of that, taking on the folks who did everything possible to reverse a democratic election. Uh, we're doing that with a group called Free Speech for People, and we have gathered a number of plaintiffs together to challenge the qualifications 
of Congress members and Trump uh, from running for office again because they violated Section 14, uh, Section 3, Amendment 14 of the U.S. Constitution, which provides if you are uh, a sworn um, government official and you you take arms up against the U.S. government or you aid and abet uh, in an insurrection, then you're disqualified. There was a hearing Friday in Georgia. Actually, we're talking about Georgia in Georgia. And it was very interesting. Went all day. Um, Marjorie Taylor Greene took a, did a lot of failure, failures to recall and couldn't remember. Um, I will tell you, I think there's uh, a very open question what that administrative judge will do. He's going to be taking some more evidence. Uh, it's possible he'll he'll find she violated the 14th Amendment and disqualify her. I'd say there's also a very good chance he won't. That's why we've got to keep organizing to make sure everyone can vote. Uh, and, and when we vote, we win. And also, we've got to push those Democratic uh, Party uh, committees and uh, the apparatus to nominate and support progressives who are going to fight for uh, health care and jobs, because that's how we can win in these red districts. If we have true voting rights and we have candidates who are fighting every day and every night for good jobs and health care for everyone in that district, we can win these races. So your so our revolution is leading the legal charge. The 14th Amendment was passed uh, right after the Civil War. It followed the 13th Amendment, which uh, abolished slavery and preceded the 15th Amendment, which allowed people of color to vote. So, but the 14th Amendment, I believe, is the longest of all the amendments. And the cause in there is very clear <clears throat> and was aimed directly at ex-Confederates who had rebelled, taken up arms against the United States, and then wanted to try and get back in to the government. And this forbade them from doing it. So I watched some of Marjorie Taylor Greene's <laughs> testimony um, uh, uh, while I was on the exercise bike in the gym. It's the only way to do it. And uh, apparently she took some memory erasing drugs and couldn't remember anything that, uh, from the past century. Uh, how, did, how did that play out, Hal, in terms of your legal strategy? Well, there was some interesting news today where Mark Meadows, who led the Trump uh, team, I think, trying to reverse the election, uh, with the stop the steal rhetoric and he his his uh, commentary, his tweet showed clearly that she had uh, advocated for a violent response to the a non peaceful response uh, to the um, uh, to the to the vote to the vote to confirm Trump uh, to confirm Biden over Trump. So I think that does certainly, you know, call into question her credibility uh, in responding to uh, our questions, and also whether she really was part of that insurrection. She claimed she wasn't, um, but, you know, hey, if you're calling for a violent takeover, if you're saying you support a violent takeover, I don't know how you can credibly claim you weren't. Or how you can credibly run for the Congress of the United States. If you've taken up arms against the government, and now you want to be a, a, represent, uh, a re representative in the Congress, a slight contradiction there. Well, you're disqualified. I mean, that's what the 14th Amendment, Section 3 does. You're, she's disqualified. That's why she has to take the position uh, that she, she didn't participate and that she was always for peaceful solutions. Because if she acknowledges 
the truth, then she's out. If if is this a legal? I assume this is a legal hearing. If she is found to be lying, I assume she's uh, liable to prosecution for perjury. Is that is that the case? But she swore under oath to tell the truth. So yeah, yes. she would be violating the laws against perjury if she if you can prove she lied. Uh, amazing. Okay, I want to welcome Harvey K, uh, historian and activist, to the call. Uh, Ruth Strauss, you have a hand. Ruth Strauss. Dr. Ruth, is there something you wanted to say real quick? Can we unmute you? There you go. Uh, anyone else who wants to jump in now? Now yeah. is the time. Um, uh, Joel uh, has given my, us a great, Amina given us a great overview. I will remind people at six o'clock Eastern, three o'clock Pacific, we are going to be joined by uh, Nina Turner uh, from the, the Bernie Sanders campaign, Nicole Sandler. We're going to get really deep into gerrymandering here. We are going to have some brief presentations between now and then on, on, on nuclear power and renewables. So, uh, Ruth Strauss, do you want to jump in real quick here? Yes. Hi. Can you hear me? We can, yes. Okay. So I want to ask, um, is there any utility at all to calling these judges' office, such as um, Walker, who approved, um, you know, or disapproved the gerrymandering in Florida, or any other number of judges who are either, you know, going well with us or going against us? Is there any utility to calling their offices? Well, that's a good question, Joel. You're you're you've been in the uh, uh, constitutional law. Does it what what is the effect of calling judges essentially to lobby them? And then I'm going to call Lynn Fireman. Lynn, apparently you have your hand up, but I don't see it. But we'll do it. Uh, Lynn, uh, Joel, can people call judges? Yes. Um, there's this wonderful amendment called the First Amendment. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. I can recite by heart, by the way. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. I required all my students to uh, recite that by heart. So there you go. Go ahead, Joel. Well, you were Phi Beta Kappa, so you must have a good memory in Michigan. Um, yeah, the, the mythology about judges is that they're these, you know, impenetrable beings high up in their, you know, castles. That's not the case at all. Many of them, many of them are elected. And, and, and if the taxpayers are paying their salaries, then absolutely they can be lobbied. Um, we need to do more of it because many of them are absolutely political especially on the right wing. So it, it can be done. You can do press conferences in front of their offices. You can write letters to the editor. Uh, if the judges are doing the wrong thing, like most of the Supreme Court, there has to be more pressure on them or they're going to continue to do the wrong thing. But public pressure does matter. Judges do care about um, whether or not they're being perceived as being ideological. All right. Very good. Uh, Lynn Fireman. <clears throat> Lynn and then... Um... Carla Sand. Lynn Feinerman, can you Yes, hi. Um, I it. had to wait to be unmuted. Um, I've been really, really concerned about this uh, election uh, violence and poll violence for quite some time. So I asked Joel, and um, I, I'm making a proposal that uh, you and Joel, Harvey, write an article about this 
an exhaustive article about it, that we get Mimi Kennedy to do a short video and that we really pressure directly the Biden administration for an executive order on this, on this question of um, uh, firing and, and getting rid of people and placing Trump people in um, the election and polling uh, positions. I, I think that's a great idea. Uh, Joel and I will do it. We'll send you the first draft. Okay. All right. Okay. Um, um, we had um, another another hand. Uh, uh, who was that? Sorry, I wrote it down. Got Winston. Carla Sand had a hand. Yeah, Carla we have a whole bunch. Winston. We have a stack. Please. I can't see the stack for some reason, Carla. And then we're going to go uh, briefly onto the nuclear issue before we go to um, um, uh, Nina uh, Turner and Nicole Sandler. Uh, and, we'll put the stack in the chat for you. Oh, please. Yes. Okay, great. Wendy Carla has her hand up, too. To unmute? I believe this may be your first time talking. We have 104 people on the call. Go ahead, Carla. Okay. Uh, first of all, I'll tell you, I'm from Minnesota. And I'm, I'm actually shocked that people are being threatened around the country if they work as an election judge. I know that you don't want to hear that. But is anybody on this call is from Minnesota? I'm an election worker. I, I, I'm thinking here in Minnesota, we must be just snow white perfect up here. I don't hear about this stuff. Yeah, is well, is it only in the on. South? <laughs> yeah, well, I don't think everybody in Minnesota is as nice as you are. <laughs> but I, I have spent time in Minnesota. People are nice, but you know, yes, it's happening everywhere, and and it's it's planned, as Joel has pointed out. This is not random violence. This is a a, very, a clearly stated plan. Um, you know, Mein Kampf by by Steve Bannon. I mean, uh, and the stakes are obvious. So um, yes, we need to deal with this. Uh, Winston, then Leslie, then Jeffrey, E.J. Stephen Spitz, Wendy, and then we're going to go to. Pat Morita in Ohio uh, for a quick visit to, and Tatanka for a quick visit to energy issues before we go at the top of the hour to Nina Turner. So Winston, go ahead, please, Winston. Okay, uh, first of all, I was gonna mention what I started to mention before we started the recording. There was a bill introduced in Missouri last year by a Republican from Hannibal, Missouri that would allow the state legislature to uh, declare on their own that there was election fraud and then to name an alternate slate of electors. Uh, and I understand similar legislation was introduced in two other states. I think it was Nevada and Arizona. Um, th that didn't go anywhere, but my prediction is that kind of legislation will be introduced in quite a few states after this election is over. Um, that would make it too late to uh, vote the people who voted for that out of office. And those people would still be in office in December of 2024, when even if they'd been voted out in November of 2024, uh, and could then throw the election to Trump by giving him electors in states where he lost the popular vote in that state. Uh, in connection with something that was mentioned just a couple of speakers ago, Cory Bush from CD1 in Missouri introduced a resolution right after the insurrection in January of 2020, uh, invoking uh, Section 3 of Amendment 14. 
And uh, it has, last I checked, about 54 co-sponsors. But it, it goes directly to Trump and people like Hawley and Ted Cruz and anybody else who has been aiding and abetting Trump in his efforts to overturn the 2020 election. Uh, and this really is the best way to do it. Congress ought to do this. Of course, unless Manchin and Cinema are willing to get rid of the filibuster, it's not going to pass. But really, these people should be barred from running. They should be barred from holding office. They violated the Constitution. And last but not least, I'd like to mention that in as far as defending democracy in the United States, I think the best defense is a good offense. And to that effect, I've put up a couple of ideas on a website. I put it in the chat early on, governmentbythepeople.org. The two basic ideas that would make America a true democracy and put the Republicans on the defensive where they belong are a system of proxies for state legislatures and Congress, where everyone who's governed by the acts of a legislature could designate one senator and one representative as their representatives. And those members of Congress and state legislatures would then have a number of votes equal to the number of proxies they hold plus one for themselves. The progressive caucus in the US House might very easily come up with a majority of the proxies, even though they've only got 25% of the membership. A handful of senators, Bernie Sanders and a few others, might hold a majority of the proxies in the Senate. And the other proposal is to uh, amend the amendment process so that amendments can be proposed by a simple majority in either House of Congress and ratified by a simple majority in a nationwide referendum. Okay, thank you very much for that. Much appreciated. Uh, Leslie, Leslie, you're up. And then um, uh, Jeffrey, EJ, Steve Spitz, Wendy, and then we're gonna to go to Pat Moriah in Ohio to talk nuclear for a couple minutes. Go ahead. I had a question for Hal of um, Our Revolution on the Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, court thing. Um, I heard a interview of the uh, lawyer that's representing the people in Georgia. And he, I think he said something about even if the judge, either way that the judge rules and her being able to run, that the ultimate decision is made by, what's his name, Rattenberger or something, the head of the elections in Georgia that was threatened by Trump. Raffensperger, um, as opposed to Roethlisberger, who just retired. Um, and by the way, um, um, since we're talking about important things, I want to uh, uh, show you that uh, this is my uh, Kaepernick t-shirt, and uh, I'm hoping that he will be, the, Colin Kaepernick will be the starting quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers upcoming. But uh, to go back to uh, other things, uh, it's not clear. Well, uh, Joel, can you or how can you comment on uh, who really has the authority to bounce uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene? Uh, do we know how that works? And I don't know, has, has it been done since the uh, Civil War? Have candidates or or Representatives have been bounced based on the 14th Amendment. Do, do we know? Uh, you know what, Leslie, maybe we'll get back to you on that next week. We need to research that. Joel, you yeah, got 
I'd like to do some research on that. Okay, we'll find out. Uh, we'll get, as they say, we'll get back to you on that, Wesley. Thank you for a very good question. Uh, Jeffrey, then EJ. Uh, Jeffrey, and then EJ. I got uh, a question for how. I got a question for how. Give, please. Give, Unfortunately, give. Hal had to go, so we're going to move on. Oh, okay. All right. Thank you, Jeffrey. We'll we'll get you later in the hour. Uh, EJ, and then um, Steve Spitz, and then Wendy. Hi. Thank you, EJ Scott of Virginia NAACP and uh, chair of the uh, Black Caucus for the state. Uh, I keep hearing often people talking about the inertia uh, uh, at DOJ, um, but I recall during the previous administration, a number of attorneys being fired, and yep. then there was a big walkout of a number of attorneys as well. Now, I have not heard that any of those uh, attorneys who were protesting what was happening uh, during that time have come back. And uh, so we're dealing with people who uh, were possibly in the DOJ who might be a little sympathetic to the previous administration. And I was wondering if anyone had heard about those attorneys that did walk out and were fired, uh, have they come back at all? I don't know. I know when George W. Bush uh, came in, he fired nine federal attorneys with no justification whatsoever. So, um, uh, you know, and we are not happy in general, many of us election protection people with the lukewarm performance of Merrick Garland and the current federal De Department of Justice. So, you know, uh, but that's a good question. And I, I don't know, we'll have to get back to you on that as well. Um, in the chat, uh, Patricia Gration has said that the judge on Marjorie Taylor Greene um, can only, uh, recommend to the state uh, Supreme Court, I'm sorry, the state uh, uh, Secretary of State Raffensperger, who makes the decision. I don't know if that's the law. If it is, it's, it's not real encouraging, but we'll see. Thank you for that, EJ. And we'll try and we'll pick that up again next week. Steve Spitz, um, my fellow Michigan guy, I'm gonna put on my hat for you. Uh, go ahead, Steve Spitz, please. Thank you, uh, Harvey. Uh I wanted to comment on, on the tactics about uh, trying to call judges up. Not a good idea. That is distinct from demonstrating in front, uh, like there will be tomorrow morning at the Supreme Court, writing letters to the editor. Uh, but direct communication with judges regarding pending matters will likely backfire. Uh, they, they won't respond, number one. They can't respond. But, you know, there are ways of uh, free speech, such as uh, the ones I mentioned and many others, without directly not such letters. And they will regard that as attempts to intimidate a decision, which is exactly the opposite of where we want to be on the high moral ground. We're against intimidating officials, you know? Okay. So the distinct difference between free speech express yourself through rallies and letters and things like that, and trying to, uh, you know, contact directly judges who are in the middle of hearing a case. Okay, we'll have further discussion on that. Uh, thank you for that, uh, Steve Spitz, much appreciated. Um, uh, Wendy Lederman, and then we can go to Pat Morita in Columbus and Tatanka and Ron uh, to talk about energy issues before 
at six o'clock, we come in with uh, 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 Nina Turner. Uh, Wendy, go ahead. Wendy Thank Lieberman. you. Thank you so much. Um, amazing show. It's amazing people here today. Thank you so much. Um, I just do want to make a quick point about the judges um, while we're discussing it, because um, there's uh, some things I found out actually, like the universe kind of put it in my lap. I shouldn't, I'm sorry about the, the background noise, guys, but um, yeah, like it's so secretive that people don't even know. And it was literally like the odds of me finding out were really improbable. There's something called the um, Judicial Qualification Committee. I think there's one in each state and there's federal and it's where you make complaints to ju about judges but what's messed up is that like when you do that it's confidential and you can't talk about it until the investigation is over and so it really makes it so that it's the good old boys club as they say because then there's no accountability for judges there's no there's no spotlight they have like their own kind of legal system but i've actually been told by my own state attorney general like who gave me the number to specific judges you can call a judge and just you don't have to be angry or you could just speak or like plead or say whatever you have to say it's only ex parte which somebody put in the chat which means that you're trying to that you're an interested party involved in a specific case and you're trying to contact the judge confidentially without letting the other party know that's not okay but you can write a letter or call a judge and if you're involved in a case just let the other notify the other party and share with them the information that you're sending but the judicial qualification committee is where bad judges go to be roasted but nobody ever knows about it so who knows what really happens to them thank you so much all right thank you wendy much appreciated for that we're going to keep keep on that theme as we go ahead uh, we do have a window here we want to uh, keep to the, our green uh, 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 label uh, pat Morita. Uh, my old buddy in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, the Ohio legislature has just passed another psychotic pro-nuclear handout. Can you tell us about it? And then we're going to talk to Tatanka and Ron real quick about the status of solar stuff, which we're going to go deeper into next week. Pat Morita. Okay. Hi, Harvey and everybody. And yeah, this terrible bill, Ohio House Bill 434, it's completely under the radar because of so many things that are going on in Ohio right now, including the redistricting, which you'll hear about pretty soon. Uh, this bill is massive in scope, and it's already passed the Ohio House 75 to 18. So, um, yeah, so we're looking for people now to write their state senators, but there's also a place for people outside of the state to contact the um, <clears throat> uh, uh, committee when it's being heard in the public, in the Senate uh, Energy and Public Utilities Committee. So I will keep Harvey informed about this. Uh, and when this when testimony might be needed. So this bill, it authorizes the creation of a new Ohio agency. It's called the Ohio Nuclear Development Authority. And this new authority is created to do research and development on uh, new nuclear reactors. And of course, it's calling them advanced. And they wouldn't need a bill unless Ohio taxpayers were going to pay for it. And Part of the problem too, a huge part of the problem is that this agency would be secretive and out of public view. And if you're not from Ohio, you might not know, but the Ohio Department of Development was privatized a, a few years ago under a Republican governor, semi-privatized. And they so now they contract out all their work to Jobs Ohio. So this new authority would be <clears throat> Uh, under Jobs Ohio, it would be out of reach of the Ohio Open Records Act, the Ohio Ethics Laws, the Sunshine Act, 
and we couldn't find out how much money was being spent, how much public money was being spent. So, um, okay. Uh, so basically, it's another bailout for the nuclear power industry from the state legislature, which was re recently bribed to the tune of $61 million for a multi billion dollar give out. And now they've got more money they want to give out to the nuclear power industry. Meanwhile, Ohio could get 100% of its electricity from wind and solar, especially from windmills in the, in the Great Lakes. It's outrageous. Uh, so thank you for that. Steve uh, Caruso, you're also in Ohio. You want to jump in with Pat on this? Steve Caruso, then we'll go to Tatanka and Ron, because we've yeah. got a small, a shrinking window here. Steve, go ahead. What they want you're to muted. do is process nuclear fuel and they want to import. So it's like you're in your car driving around looking at trash and oh, that looks good. And you get out of the car and you actually look at it. But, you know, they want to import all this stuff into the state. You know, to them, it means money. But to us, it needs more radiation, like they're spraying the brine on the roads with radioactive brine in Ohio. Like, there's nothing wrong with it. It's Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah, well, they, uh, nothing. Go ahead, Pat. Nothing from Ohio surprised me anymore. We have 100 people on the call. So uh, go ahead, Pat. Now we're going to go to Tatanka and, and Ron real quick. Well, it could create new radioactivity in Ohio, and it could part of the part of the. I mean, this bill goes on and on, and I'm going to put in our talking points into the chat. And also, there's a webinar um, coming up uh, on Wednesday, and I'll, that Terry Lodge and I are going to be on. Terry Lodge is our uh, attorney. He's a brilliant attorney. He can tell uh, tell us what's wrong with with this bill as far as the legal issues go. Uh, and one more thing I'll one more thing I'll say is that this bill forces the governor to choose only the people that the council recommends. So the bill's 14 pages long, and eight pages of those 14 are all about the convoluted process of choosing the board membership. And okay. All right. Well, thank you, Pat. Thank you for that. Ohio never ceases to amaze me. We did defeat a radioactive waste dump in Ohio a number of years ago when Dennis Kucinich was in the state legislature. And we have won a number of victories in Ohio, but it's astounding. Uh, nationwide, we are following uh, a steady stream. Next week, we're gonna have a major presentation, a session on nuclear, national nuclear, and on uh, uh, solar, uh, the, the war against solar. I will say that Joe Manchin is now putting forward a bill <coughs> to promote the United States as an exporter of nuclear power. I mean, th there's just no end to these people. Uh, uh, Tatanka, do you want to update yeah. us uh, and, um, uh, and and Ron real quick on the status of the war against solar? Yeah, we only have two minutes. So I'll say big utilities are trying to destroy rooftop solar all over the country. It's at bay in California, other states not so fortunate like Florida, New York, et cetera. Next week, also in detail, we're going to talk about the Romero Institute and Dolores Huerta Foundation combining on Senate Bill 1230, the first bill in this session to be followed by several more next year and the following year to get California to carbon zero by 2030. It just this bill, which is basically cars and trucks, electrification of vehicles, uh, stations, uh, charging stations all throughout the state prioritizes low and uh, work low income and 
and uh, working people. It passed the Environmental Committee last week. It's going to Senate Transportation Committee tomorrow, then to appropriations, and then we to the Senate as a whole, and then we do the whole assembly thing before it gets to the governor. So we'll we'll flesh that in next week. Ron, do you have anything to add? Ron Leonard in New York, Tatanka's in California. Basically what we have in California is a simultaneously a war against uh, rooftop solar being counteracted by the Romero Institute and others putting forward a bill to promote rooftop solar basically and to make California carbon free. And, it, and it, we, it, they backed off at the CPUC due to massive emails, telephone calls and people showing up at the hearings. It and took it's, that a nefarious, it's a nefarious attack because really they don't outlaw uh, rooftop solar directly. What they do is tax it out of existence, as in the case of New York, where if you put rooftop solar in on your uh, house and you happen to be a national grid, uh, the first year savings is 10% of what it should be. So basically, um, in, in Florida, California, and New York, we have massive attacks against rooftop solar. And, and, and what you're telling me, Tatanka and Ron, if I understand, we've got them more or less stymied in California. Oh, it's not clear what's gonna happen in Florida. There's a bill on the governor's desk and he, uh, he's too busy with Walt Disney, apparently to sign this bill. And then New York, uh, if I understand properly, uh, Ron has actually uh, really hammered rooftop solar. In New York. On January 1st of this year, yeah. Basically, of the six utilities, if you were in Con Ed, you only get uh, uh, a 21% savings in Orange and Rockland, 19% savings. Central Hudson, only 45% savings. National Grid, 79% savings. NYSIG, 99%. So 99% of your money out the door, only 10% savings, and LIPO, about 50%. So they're and really this, and this, and this is an issue that has the, the support, bipartisan support, at least four out of five people all over the country. Right. Eighty percent of the American solar. public. Right. Eighty percent of the American public supports um, uh, a rooftop solar and, and going green. And yet you have these uh, retrograde uh, climate destroyers uh, uh, who are fighting us tooth and nail on the one thing that can really save the planet or one of the few things that can really save the planet, which is rooftop solar. Okay, you guys, thank you. We're gonna have a much deeper dive on this next week. Um, uh, we're really gonna go into detail and Pat, I hope you'll join us again too, to talk about what's happening with nuclear um, uh, around the country and the, the assault on, on renewables. Uh, we, okay, it's uh, 6.02, we have 100 people, again, still on the call. And um, uh, our second hour now is gonna focus on the all important, the astonishingly um, uh, insane and uh, critically uh, pivotal uh, uh, fight over gerrymandering, especially in Ohio and Florida. And as I mentioned at the top of the hour, in 2022, Florida, actually for the, for the decade of the 2020s, uh, based on the, the recent consensus uh, of Florida, will have 27, 27 congressional districts, sending 27 congresspeople to the U.S. House, and there will be 15 in Ohio. That's up two in Florida from 25, and down one 
in Ohio from 16. Now, Ohio, which is 50 50 um, uh, Democrat, Republican, more actually, it's 54 46 now. Uh, so, in uh, a state, a swing state, uh, which decided the 20, 2004 election, you have um, uh, a, a, a more or less even divide between Democrats and Republicans. We have had in the 2010s 16 uh, congressional seats, and mostly it's been 12 Republicans and four Democrats. I mean, it's insane. And in Florida, which has had 25, and now we'll have 27, we have a map that's about to be approved by the governor, which is probably gonna make it uh, about 23 or 24 to three or four. I mean, that, that's how bad it is. So we are talking about a swing from gerrymandering in two states that could very, very easily decide who controls the US House. Because you're talking about a swing here of as many as 20 House seats based entirely on gerrymandering in two states. Again, that's 20 House seats. So we have with us Alan Minsky uh, of the Progressive Democrats of America. Has Nina, uh, Nina Turner joined us yet? Uh, we do have Nicole Sanders, Sandler from Florida, great uh, talk, radio talk host. We'll also be joined by Rachel Coyle from Ohio to talk about these two incredible situations. I mean, here, hundreds of millions, oh, Nina is just joining us. Hundreds of millions of dollars are gonna be spent on campaigns uh, all across the country. And in fact, what's happening now is that the Republicans in the governor in, in Florida and the uh, redistricting commission in Ohio uh, are poised to swing 20, 20 congressional seats from one side to the other. That's a really a 40 swing. So um, Nina, well, let me start with Alan. Alan, you can uh, introduce Nina Turner. We're honored to have Nina Turner with us and Nicole Sandler, Nina uh, from Ohio, running for Congress. I don't know how, maybe you can tell us, Nina, how you run for Congress when there are no districts. I think a similar situation in Florida. Alan Minsky, do you wanna please introduce this section? We're gonna go for the next 40 minutes on this all important question. So go ahead, Alan Minsky, please. The I'm Alan just getting my plug to make- My buddy, the executive director of the Progressive Democrats of America. Uh, go ahead, yeah, Alan. Go ahead. Yeah, thank you. I need to plug my computer so it doesn't die on me. It just said the battery was running low, but here I am and Harvey, it's always great to be with you. Um, I mean, you know, introducing Nina Turner, what can I say? She's, um, I, I, one of the things I'd like to say about Nina Turner is that she's one of the, I feel, uh, three most beloved politicians uh, amongst Americans who are, I don't know what age you want to say, 40 and younger, 45 and younger. And when, when forces within the Democratic Party, um, oligarchic forces, um, bring their money to try to defeat Nina Turner, I think they have to be recognized as, as the nefarious a force in American democracy as anything the Republican Party can bring. Because what are you doing? What's, I wrote about this back in August of last year. Um, and I actually wrote, maybe I can go back and just very quickly uh, read what I wrote at the time. Um, the Democratic Party establishment seems hell bent on keeping Nina Turner off their team. This is not surprising given their anybody but Bernie approach to the 2020 primaries. 
and their consistent rejection of the left. But it will still be mighty tragic unless Nina triumphs uh, in the August election back then. How so? To begin, the anti-Turner Democrats risk alienating a huge group of politically energized young people. Bernie was the top choice for president by a landslide among Americans under 30 in both 2016 and 2020. And no one in Bernie land was more popular with the youth than the brilliant orator and 2020 campaign co-chair Nina Turner. These young progressives are savvy and not predisposed to forgive a party they see as corrupt. It is not lost on them that Turner was poised to win this race in a landslide until an avalanche of money from conservative groups and outright Republicans, but also conservative Democrats poured into her opponent's coffers and saturated the district airwaves with hit pieces on Nina. Nobody honestly believes these donations were made for any reason other than defeating Nina. What message does this send to idealistic young people? It's hard to imagine. It's hard to imagine a more effective way of losing an essential demographic for next year's midterms and beyond. Hopefully the people of Ohio 11th will save the Democrats from themselves by electing Nina Turner. Well, right now, folks, we have an opportunity to defeat these attacks on democracy because Nina Turner is so committed to the people of the district in Ohio 11th, so committed to doing what's right for this society that she is back in the fray. And we're gonna win this time, folks. And you know, that's what we do. We, we, we get back up and we win, okay? We, we, and we have to call out the what is going on for what it is. To send the message to idealistic young people that they are not wanted inside the Democratic Party by flooding unaccountable money into a district in the way that it's happening, the people that are doing that need to be called out as the foes of democracy. I mean, we'll do this after May 3rd because right now we're going to win. Right now we have to concentrate on winning. But I did want to lead on this message because one of the purposes is called for all of you who are joining us here today, for any of you who can make a contribution to this campaign, please, please do so. We got to win this thing. I'm heading to Cleveland myself on Friday. It's going to be great to see you, Nina Turner. And let's win this thing, folks. This is about everything that we love. Nina says that phrase more poetically than I can. Let's win this thing right now, folks. And then let's also provide an amazing defeat to our foes, a victory for all that is good and all that we love. And let's do this, folks. And with that, I am so honored to introduce the great Nina Turner. Nina, wonderful to have you. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's so good to be with each and every one of you. And I'm trying to keep up with the messages in the chat. I cannot because they're coming in hot, which I love. Joel, thank you. I saw that remark that you made. And then someone said, Alan, from your the 45 and younger, I think they said, I'm 62 and I love Nina too. <laughs> uh, thank well, you. Nina, we're, we're all on pins and needles to hear how, how you are running uh, for Congress, where there are no districts. <laughs> well, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, a interesting feat here in Ohio. I think Ohio is the worst. I mean, I know that there are other Republicans and other states doing some pretty rotten things when it comes to gerrymandering, but Ohio has to be up there in the top three. We're going to have two primaries. The second primary is going to cost the taxpayers in this state twenty million dollars. Imagine what we could do with $20 million. We could give some relief on the gas prices here. We can invest that to help the unhoused, educate, you name it. I mean, but they might as well just go and set that money on fire. These these conservative, uh, fiscal conservatives, what happened to it when it comes to them not answering to the Ohio Supreme Court? But to more directly answer your question, 
the lines by which the members of the or the lines that the congressional candidates are running are set for now that could absolutely change because there's another court date on may the 20th if you can believe that but for now they are set and the way that the lines are drawn for the 11th congressional district 30 percent of that district of this district is new all of the city of cleveland is in the same district which is beautiful for us because last year during the special election i won the city of cleveland by 10 points the part that was in the district now the entire city is in the district some of you may remember it was divided between congresswoman marcy captor at the time she had toledo and she had a portion of cleveland made absolutely no sense i actually voted against those last maps before the more recent ones because i was in the legislature in 2010 2011 you know i didn't leave until 2014. so and then we have a city another city that is in the district lake lakewood and lakewood went for senator sanders twice so even though the senator competed in ohio in 16 we know that he did not win the state but he won the city of lakewood overwhelmingly and the primary was over for us in 2020 due to COVID before he could fully compete in Ohio, but he still won Lakewood. I have the support of two actively elected officials in Lakewood, which is a big deal because we know that if active elected officials endorse the non-incumbent, the party rings hellfire on them. So I want to shout out Senator Michael Skindell, who's in the House now, but we served in the Senate, hardcore progressive. He pushed universal health care right here in the state of Ohio. And a young and up-and-coming councilman, who's a councilman in Lakewood, Councilman Tristan Rader. Neither one of them are on this call, but I want to say to UPDA, when it comes time to help them run, because the corporatist Dems will come after them, we got to not only lift them up, we got to be there to help them win their races too. And then a legend has come out for me by the name of Mary Rose Okar. Some of you remember her. Congresswoman Mary Rose Okar is supporting me too. And she actually represented many of the newer parts of the 11th Congressional District. So we're running because we do have lines for now. We will see what happens, but it is really, really good for us. And we have the benefit of having college students in play this campaign this time around, even though we have less money. And that's why what Alan is laying out. And Alan, thank you so much for what you read, what you wrote last year, what you just wrote just what last week or today I was reading your article. Thank you so much for that because you lay out a roadmap that this is not just about me, but I am a conduit for our larger movement. And if they do this to me, they did it to India Walton, they did it to Senator Sanders, for God's sakes, the they are the status quo, the corporatist types in both parties, they team up against progressives like us, freedom fighting progressives, because the word progressive is being co-opted now. So I'm calling us freedom fighting, freedom loving progressives to put a finer point on who the true progressives are. But they do that to deflate the movement, because if they could take us out, then that discourages other people from running. As donors, it discourages you. It is very, even some of my donors who, you know, everybody is dealing with inflation caused by this corporate greed. I get it. But, you know, if you're solidly middle class, you're feeling it a little more. If you're barely hanging on, you're feeling it. But if you are already poor or kind of teetering, you know, so the pain is, is drawing people down. I want to share with PDA, the members here that are on this call, even my, even my donors who are solidly well off and they believe in this movement and they know that the system is rigged even they some of them are deflated too 
I mean, I made a call just today, Matt and I, and this, this guy, he had maxed out to me last time, certainly could max out again. He said, I'm done. I'm done with the Democratic Party. Now, he probably, I don't know how old he was. He was definitely older than 30, but he said, I'm done. Yeah. And because he's done, even though he supports me and he said, I love you, but I'm done because what they are doing. And so people like that, whether they're high wealth or people who are just every day holding on working class people, we got to recapture that because if somebody that is of high wealth can say that they're done, imagine the people who are feeling more of the economic pressure, how right. they are feeling. And so the so, other side wants people to get so discouraged. They want them to get weary and well-doing that they just throw up their hands and they give up. And we, yes, we, us and others who are not on this call with us tonight, we have to continue to stand strong and encourage our sisters and brothers and our family and friends that there are two ways to catch hell. Now, we can catch hell and do nothing and let them get away with it, or we can catch hell and do something and let them know that we are going to be a force to be reckoned with, right. that they're not, we're not going anywhere, and we're going to bump them back just as well as they bump us. And ultimately, we are going to win because we are winning on the issues. We just got to pull people out to vote. So right. field first campaign we are running was not able to raise as much as I raised last year. Thank you all for helping us hit that mark. I mean, we raised $6 million. It is harder this time because the very people that I'm trying to get the money from, people like you, they have less of it. That's one. And number two, people are demoralized and depressed. That's number two. And number three, I am raising money the way that we should demand all of our campaign, all of all of our candidates raise money. And that is with grassroots dollars primarily and not taking the money from super PACs. There are six dark money and or super PAC groups that have entered into this race. And I think you should take that as we are winning because okay. if, the, if we were not winning, they would not be coming in here with a vengeance. I mean, sisters and brothers, they making up packs. I mean, every time I go to the mailbox, there's a new pack. So it's the Charter School Association. It's the Democratic Majority for Israel. It's APAC. It's the moderate dim groups. I mean, they just making up super PACs. They are. Okay. But that is a message. We so must keep pushing we must keep donating but we are winning we are well, winning but, it must be really close and they know it and they are in here trying to tank the process look i am never going we are never going to be okay. able to keep the three million dollars or so that poured in here two million of it like two weeks left in the race tomorrow we will have exactly a week left we can't compete with that money like that on that level and we can't even try at this stage of the campaign but what we do have is the people power the excitement we are tracking our voters we are we are um not only are we tracking our voters we're chasing the ballots we are chasing the ballots we are knocking on doors we are knocking two thousand doors a week you hear me we've been out there knocking since the last two weeks of february and the slow and the sneak and the sleet and hell it just snowed in, in cleveland just last week we are doing that and we are touching people just sunday we were in five cities at the same time Marianne Williamson came in here, just just knocked down the house. She did. Uh, Dr. Victoria Dooley from Michigan was in here. A.G. Keith Ellison will be in here this weekend. This will be the last weekend that we can vote, the only weekend that we can vote in the great state of Ohio because they took away Golden Week. So anyway, 
that is a quick update of the race. I know we're supposed to be having a dialogue, so I'm going to stop right there and, and let's just dive in Fantastic. here. I'm excited, Thank you. but I need you. We need you. Please, any amount, $5, $3, $11 will help us keep people on the doors. We're not going to beat them on broadcast TV. Can't afford. I don't have super PACs coming in here, and I don't want them in here. Good, 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 good. However, we want it grassroots. Power. Absolutely. That's, yes. That's uh, the message. Uh, great. We really appreciate your grassroots campaign. I want to, uh, and, and we, we need to um, really deal, deal with both in Ohio and Florida. So I want to give an update real quick on how I understand the, the gerrymandering situation. Everybody's wondering how you're going to, how there's going to be a, a congressional election. My understanding is the people of Ohio voted in a refer two referenda to make a fair districting process. And the Republicans, and I have to be partisan here or say the truth, the Republicans in Columbus have corrupted that process. They passed four different um, um, gerrymandered maps for, the, for both the congressional districts and for the state legislature. And one female <coughs> Republican judge, Maureen O'Connor, the uh, chief justice, of the Ohio Supreme Court has rejected all four of those, of those um, um, uh, gerrymandered uh, maps. Now, my understanding, unfortunately, is that there's a possibility that this is going to be decided in this election by a Republican-controlled federal court. Um, uh, and I don't know the detail. We are all dying to know what kind of district you are finally going to run in uh, with your grassroots campaign. And then we're going to go to Florida to, um, uh, to ask the same question uh, um, uh, of Nicole Sandler. Can you tell us exactly what the status is of, of the district that you're trying to run in? Was that for me? Yes. Yeah, I mean, the status of the district is it pretty much... 30% of it is new. So it's mainly most of the cities that I had last time, plus 30% a new area moving more towards the west side of Cleveland. So all of Cleveland and the city of Lakewood and there are a few other cities to the east that are now in the district. The district is overwhelmingly Democrat. So, you know, it still has the same uh, Democratic index. So if a Democrat's, if a Democrat wins, when a Democrat wins, when I win the primary, we got to run in November. Obviously, I would never take November for granted, but it's so solidly Democrat that the okay. likelihood that a Republican would win is slim to none. Anita, can you stay with us? And I want to go to Florida real quick because it, 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 it impacts the national map as well. Uh, Nicole Sandler uh, of, a, of, of a national radio show, which you should be on. Maybe you've been on with her. No, if she not, hasn't, and I would love to have her on, so yes, we'll talk. <laughs> uh, Nicole has a huge audience, Nina, that you need to reach. Nicole, can you tell us what's happening with the maps in Florida? Well, we have this um, being who is the governor. Uh, <laughs> I used to I used to call him his name. His given name, I guess, is Ron DeSantis. But he's become known to us people like me as moron death sentence. But now we've it's morphed a little bit more since just this past weekend. He's now Ron DeSatan because he is of Satan. He is evil incarnate. I actually had somebody ask me this weekend, which would be worse, Trump or DeSantis? 
And I hate to say it, I, I honestly think DeSantis, because he's better educated and um, he knows how government works, unlike the former guy. But so what he did this week was Florida, um, they, the legislature passed maps, a, a new redistricting map. Uh, they went through the process. Now, keep in mind that 10 years ago, we too in Florida passed a constitu- constitutional amendment called Fair Districts Florida. This is 10 years ago. They outlawed this partisan gerrymandering stuff. And yet the Republican controlled legislature has kept the gerrymandering going. And and now it's worse than ever. So DeSantis wasn't satisfied with the maps they drew up and he would not go along with them. So the Republican legislature said to him, well, then you redraw the maps because we've done it and you don't like them. So he did. He had them with redrawn. And so what was before a um, 16 to 11 Republican advantage in Florida in districts is now 20 to eight. And and believe it or not, the voter registration is about equal. It's about 37, 38 percent registered Democrats, 37, 38 percent registered Republicans and um, the rest, you know, independents, basically. And but they control now like 80 percent of of the legislature. And it there's no way around this. And so this will be fought the day he signed it. He they he called a special session of the legislature ostensibly to deal with the insurance crisis, property insurance crisis we have here in Florida that they ignored in the regular session because he had to do the don't say gay stuff and the, you know, and the, you know, CRT nonsense. Um, so they ignored it in the regular session. They were supposed to come back to deal with the insurance crisis. And instead, he did his new maps and the the Disney Revenge Act, as I call it. And he's he's taking away Disney's um, special status. So everything is screwed up here. It is a mess. So basically, we have two states. Florida, which was decided the 2000 election, and Ohio, which decided the 2004 election. That's right. We have heard the voice of the people in both states demanding fair districting mm-hmm. and an end to gerrymandering. And in both states, the wills of, of the people is being overridden. And Nina <laughs> is right in the middle of it running for Congress. And you have your show. And we're talking here about a swing not with the public, uh, totally against the will of the public, of between 10 and 20 seats in the U.S. House, yeah. which could change the entire nature uh, of, the, of the federal government. Is that, is that a fair statement? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, God help us. Uh, Joel Siegel, do you want to jump in on this, our constitutional lawyer? And Nina, I hope you can stay with us. And Nina, you must uh, exchange your contacts with Nicole. Because Nicole is a great yes, radio uh, host, you. and you will you'll be a great guest. It will reach a very good audience. Uh, Joel, uh, I'm gonna, you yeah, I'm going to call you Congressman Nina Turner since I know you're <laughs> you're about to win. Yeah. Um, Nina, it's good to see you again. You do have the hippest glasses of anyone <laughs> that I know of who's running for Congress. But as someone who was a protege of Congressman John Conyers, may he rest in peace. Um, I know what happens when one member of Congress who's progressive and charismatic and understands the intersection of the grassroots and policy gets in to office. I know, Nina, that you're gonna be a transcendent 
figure, the, the Rosa Parks of the U.S. Congress. I want to thank Alan Mitsky and PDA. Nina, what, what is it that you need from us? There's a lot of organizations on this call. There's money on this call. What do you need from us? You've got to get elected, whether it's climate change, ending homelessness, jobs for all, housing for all. You are the candidate of, of now, and we need you. But what do we need to do to help you win? Oh, Joel, thank you so much for that. We need time, talent, and treasure, and I mean all of those. So we do need donations, but if anybody can volunteer on the phones to be on our special team that is trying to push out our voters, those are voters who are already gotten the absentee ballot, but they haven't turned it back in. That is a specialized call time. So anybody that's willing to do that, um, you can go to ninaturner.com slash volunteer, or Madeline is here too. Madeline can put our our snt at ninaturner.com email and then she will get that to the to the team that's doing the special call time because our ballots have been requested we're following our voters our ones and our twos but we need people to call them to get them not to leave that ballot on the table so time talent and treasure if anybody can come in here the last weekend we can vote on saturday and also on sunday so if you can come in or you got somebody that's close to ohio come in so time talent, treasure. That's what we need, Joel. Thank you for that question. You know, you got 101 volunteers and then we're going to make it 1,001 because we're all connected to organizations. Hey, I love you. And it's been two years. Good to see you, Congresswoman. Yes. Yeah, so you need to you put too. your contacts in the chat. I want to tell, tell you also, there's another radio heavyweight on with us, Dennis Bernstein, who has the uh, Flashpoints call in uh, in KPFA uh, Berkeley, which is a uh, uh, broadcast around the Pacifica network. Dennis is on as well. I don't know if you've been on with Dennis, but you need to exchange uh, uh, contacts uh, with Dennis Bernstein as well. He runs a great show. We also have John Brakey on with us. John is uh, uh, one of the leading experts uh, in election protection. And if there's ever an election that's going to need protection, it's yours. <laughs> <laughs> I, will, I will point out that in 1916, the great socialist Eugene V. Debs, ran for Congress in his hometown of Terre Haute, where he had grown up, where everybody knew him, knew him and even people who weren't socialists loved him and wanted him to be in the Congress. And when Eugene V. Debs ran for the US Congress in 1916 in his hometown of Terre Haute, he was credited with zero votes. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, it's totally impossible, but that's what they did to him. So uh, you will have to watch the vote casting and the vote counting in Cleveland as well. I highly recommend Cleveland in April It's and May. It's a, a lovely town on a beautiful lake. And um, uh, we are definitely wanna uh, support uh, in a nonpartisan way, uh, any grassroots organizing that's being done. And uh, you know, one of the camp our campaign gripes is that we do not like money wasted on TV ads and you are doing exactly what progressive need, progressives around the country need to do, which is the campaign at the grassroots. So that's right. Just to, I'm sorry to jump in on you, but we learned a lesson besides the dark money that came in last year. I want to put that to the side. We also analyzed the things that we could do better that was in our control as a campaign. And it was that gra our grassroots, our door to door, our field was not as strong as it should have been. And that is why we came out the gate running field first. Well, tell us exactly the nuts and bolts 
of the grassroots campaign. This is a semi, this is a, a defining issue for these calls. We still have a hundred people with us here. So we do. Um, uh, what exactly is the structure of your grassroots campaigning that could be duplicated for progressives around the country? And we're gonna definitely write that up to share because I believe that our strength is in us. Each one, teach one, reach one. We started off hiring canvassers that live in this district. And I got to share with my sisters and brothers and family and friends, people are hungry for the money. We are paying $15 an hour. If I could pay, if we could pay more, we would definitely do it. But the, the generations that are showing up, it is mind blowing. People from all walks of life, we're getting a lot of men, especially black men who are engaged in this process. We did not have that last time. And I want to say that the Democratic Party, I believe, is doing a disservice to black men. We can talk about that at another time. But I do believe that the party does not, you know, every time they talk about black women being the backbone, being the backbone. Now, we are that. We do show up for the Democratic Party. Even though the Democratic Party doesn't always show up for us in terms of our communities and what the needs are. And what freedom fighting progressives are fighting for is exactly what will lift, especially the black community, because disproportionately we're impacted. And in all poor communities, no matter how people identify racially or ethnic, uh, ethnically, but hiring people on the ground to canvas is number one because they understand the community and they want to do it and because inflation is pressing down wages we know what is going on so that having a campus organizer we did not have college students last time in august they weren't there mm. we committed a full-time campus organizer for every college and university in and around the 11th congressional district and i'm telling you it is making all of the difference in the world and even within that co college community it is being dominant a lot of young men are coming out to participate so hiring local people not not activists outside of the community hiring locally for that canvas team having a campus organizer and dedicating most of the resources to field. Now you do need a little TV, but I understand what you're saying. Sometimes you could be too heavy on the broadcast and not enough on the field. And we learned our lesson there. We are, and we got less resources too. So it forced us to learn our lesson, but we've been knocking doors and you got to cultivate. One of the things I want to do even after this election is over is continue to cultivate the relationship so that we're not talking to voters when we need their vote, that we are there with them on a regular basis, getting what they need, what we need to know about their lives and their livelihoods and what would make their lives better. But it is, it is, it is, it is the energy here for our campaign is palpable. We just got to push through the noise of the broadcast TV that they're purchasing. Again, six dark money groups and or super PACs and the mail that comes in every single day and we got to keep pushing the people so to what joel asked time talent and treasure i saw somebody else ask i say they stated in the chat we donated now what if you are willing to take a call shift that would help us tremendously even if you cannot physically come to cleveland ohio if you are willing to take shifts to make calls that will help us out great so, well so you know, uh, as a result of this, these calls, um, we, we had the, the Georgia miracle and a book was uh, um, uh, produced uh, called The Georgia Way about how uh, be, with Andrea Miller and at Center for Common Ground and uh, Ray McClendon and others um, uh, that, that, that was done. So what we, 
love to do uh, when you win uh, is give us the blueprint or sooner so that we can spread it around the country. Because the Democratic Party, as we understand it, has $100 million they're about to blow on TV ads. And, um, you know, they're not doing any of the grassroots stuff that you're doing. No, and I want to add another point to that. And thanks to Dr. Jim Zogby, who's not on this call, but he really encouraged us last time and we didn't do it, but we're doing it this time. We're really focusing in on the ethnic communities that make up Greater Cleveland. So our goal is not to leave anybody behind not anybody behind. So, you know, we have a Somalian community. We certainly have an Arab American community. We have things are translated in Arabic for that community. Our Hispanic or Latinx community doing the same thing. We have people from those respective communities. We won the Stonewall Democrats endorsement, not once, but twice. So our LGBTQ plus community, like everybody can see themselves in this campaign and we wanna quadruple down on that. So that would be another recommendation okay. for campaigns is that you look at the different ethnic makeups of the areas that you're running in. And even though the, there's a cross pollination between the struggle and what people want, no matter how they identify ethnically, racially, sexual orientation, religiously, all of that. But then there are special things that different communities need or are understanding as a candidate that you need to try to get or your campaign. And so we're doing that as well. We are doing that to great success. Well, listen, I, I hope Alan Minsky and you and PDA and, and, um, and Mike Hurst are thoroughly documenting how you're doing this. We are, we are, and the Jewish community too. Let me lay that out there. Many of you know that I was maligned. I'm still am being that APAC put something out against me uh, today for anyway, but we have a, a director of Jewish outreach. We have coordinators and really I've been meeting with rabbis. I've been meeting and some of my local Jewish allies and thank you, Alan and, and, and others. Uh, Marianne played a part, but my local Jewish allies are really stepping in this right. time and letting Good. it be known that what was said about me is wrong. It's wrong. Well, it's a you, lie. You, you know, there are many to, times uh, you can take a candidate's background and manipulate it. Right. This you, one right here, to, a total uh, outright lie. And so we okay. are reaching deeper into the, the Jewish community, too, to try to push back against the lie. Well, you, 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 you need to coordinate with Joel Siegel to brush up on your Yiddish. Um, <laughs> and so thank about, you, Joe, I, I wanna, Joe saying that. Have no, a, thank we you. Have a, we're joined by Rachel Coyle, who we asked to come on here. I don't know, Nina, if you've been in touch with Rachel Coyle. Rachel, are you unmuted? Um, we wanna, Rachel is in Columbus and she is really following the nitty gritty of the fight over the districts. Um, uh, Mike, do we have Rachel Coyle unmuted so she can, uh, Steve? I'm here. Okay, Rachel, um, um, Nina Turner, as you probably know, is running in what we think is the 11th district <laughs> in Cleveland. Yeah. Can you? Oh, look at that. Another oh, candidate. Okay. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, Hello. You, you just brought the a, a, age, average age down 20 years. Can you, um, <laughs> can you, Rachel, give us a quick nitty gritty update on where we stand with the legalities of the districts in Ohio? Sure. Uh, so as you know, we still don't have legal uh, maps in Ohio, even though our primary election is happening. Um, we haven't had an update since last week on the congressional districts. That is the congressional districts are on the primary ballot this year. 
already on the right now. Uh, so we are waiting uh, probably sadly until 2024 to try and fight for those those constitutional congressional maps. Uh, but the legal fight is going to still be going. We're expecting filings in that case in, in late May. But we did have a big update on the state house races last week, a very troubling update. Uh, we had a three-judge federal panel. Um, two of the judges were Trump-appointed judges, and they decided that they were even though they're they're not going to interfere in the Ohio Supreme Court's ruling over Ohio laws and Ohio districts for the next month, they said that if the state Supreme Court or if the state redistricting commission can't pick a fair map uh, by the end of May, they're going to choose one for us, which is just truly outrageous. Uh, we were we were I was not expecting that. It was a really big blow to my my motivation last week, but we're, we're bouncing back. Uh, so we are hopeful that in the next few weeks um, before that late May deadline, we can fight extra hard, get people loud and angry. We've got a big rally plan this Thursday um, to show folks that this is just unacceptable, that we now need the commission to spend the next month getting those those maps in order. We have bipartisan maps that were drawn by two map makers, a Republican and a Democrat, that were hired using Ohioans tax dollars. So those maps already exist. We just need the commission to put them into place. Uh, and so we really are hoping that's what happens. But if not, if we get to the end of May and the commission still hasn't acted, the federal court, that panel is going to implement some some illegal maps for us for the next cycle, which is very so, disheartening. Well, we would expect those maps uh, to be uh, highly uh, uh, partisan uh, for the Republicans because the are, Republicans yeah. have taken over the commission. So the question is then, are those maps only for the state legislature? What happens to the congressional districts? Yes, the ones I'm talking about are for the, the state legislature. The congressional district maps are likely already in place for the 2022 election. Uh, even though they were ruled to be unconstitutional because that primary, the legislature, the Republican legislature refused to move the primary. So people are already voting in that primary. Uh, so it's now at a, this point, we're likely going to have to wait until next election cycle to try and make our congressional districts more constitutional. Um, and How badly gerrymandered are those con are those congressional districts? They are very, very badly gerrymandered. Uh, it's there's only I believe under the map we're currently using only two fully safe Democratic seats out of 15, which is not at all how Ohio votes. Uh, Ohio votes about 54 percent Republicans. So under a, a, a legal map, we would have about seven Democrats and eight Republicans going to Congress from Ohio. But it's um, it'll depend on how the Democrats do overall nationwide and across Ohio. Um, but there's only two truly safe Democratic seats, I believe, under the, the current map we're using. And can and I make a those, point? Uh, um, well, I just want to make a quick, quick point to that and, and amen everything um, that, that she just said. And also the fact that we have to focus on legislative races. The yeah. Democratic Party as a whole is doing a poor job. And I'm being PG because my grandbabies <laughs> are in my lap. We overlook who is in the legislature, who's running for secretary of state and voting is down in this state by about 40%, even though it is a gubernatorial election year, all the constitutional offices, we have five constitutional offices in the great state of Ohio and the voting is low statewide and particularly in my county, Cuyahoga County, that needs to overperform 
for a, for a Democrat to have a fighting chance. We're down by over 40% right now. And the person that I am running against is the chair. Not only does she hold the congressional seat, she is the chair of the Cuyahoga County Democratic Party. And this is doing a disservice to our Democratic statewide candidates and other candidates that are running in this um, in in Cuyahoga County itself, so this is so, a sad state of affairs all the way around. So um, um, thank you, uh, uh, Nina, Rachel. So you're what, what we're looking now is, is a, a, a a done deal to a certain extent. The congressional delegation from Ohio, which should be we you have 15 um, uh, seats in Ohio now, down from 16, should be eight to seven or nine to six is likely to be more like 12 to three or? Um, yeah, at uh, least this year. Our hope is that it's only gonna be one more election cycle with those unfair congressional maps uh, and then that we can get the legal ones in place by 2024. Um, and yes, for anyone who doesn't know, Nina Turner was a state senator for a long time. That's how I got to know her in the first place. And just like, you cannot overstate the importance of state legislative races. That is where okay. all the laws are being passed, all the abortion restrictions, all the gun ban gun bills, like everything yeah. you care about, state houses are where it's at. So just yeah. like lifting that back up. I have a and question Nicole for Sandra, Rachel. Does that, that sound familiar to you in Florida? Uh, what, what's going on there? Um, I'm sorry, with, with respect to what? To the gerrymandering of both the state legislature and the um, congressional de delegation. I believe so. Honestly, we hear so little about the state legislature. I don't even know what's going on with that. I just know that it's very lopsided with Republicans controlling everything. And and frankly, the makeup of the, um, the, the Florida was always majority Democratic voters until this year when the Republicans overtook the, the number of Democrats. And it's just it's very, very close. But the the makeup of the legislature is so lopsided. Um, I think that the, you know, uh, we had um, Angie Nixon on my show the other day. Angie Nixon was one of the the members of the Florida House who who had a, engaged in a sit in on the floor uh, to to delay the voting on these districts that were drawn. Um, and they're so outnumbered. I mean, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it's something like 17 to four. The number it's so lopsided. So obviously they are gerrymandering because I don't know otherwise how it would work. But the other part of it is the Florida Democratic Party is ineffective. And I'm being really diplomatic here. The Broward <laughs> County Democratic Party, where I live, Broward County is Fort Lauderdale and and areas around it is even worse. It's just horrible. I per, I joined in the um, the progressive takeover, the uh, the not me us coalition, where we tried to infiltrate the Florida legislature, the Florida Democratic Party, and we they they the the new um, Florida chairman of the Democratic Party of Florida used an op-ed in the Miami Herald to diss the progressive caucus here in Florida to go instead of criticizing the Republicans for their dirty tricks, they went up against and took on the progressives. And I finally said, that's it. I'm out. I just I can't. They they do not embrace us. So they're fighting with us rather than fighting with the Republicans. Oh, Wendy Lederman, I know you're in Fort Lauderdale. Then we're going to go to uh, Mary um, uh, and, and others. <clears throat> do you want to give us a Alan had a question. 
Oh, okay. Oh, no, I just was going to chime in that, you know, we look out at all the other social democratic countries in the world where they have universal single payer health care, <clears throat> et cetera. And people really need to understand that the American system, there's much more powerful provincial governments. The state governments in our system are much more powerful than they are in almost all of the prosperous countries around the world that are allies of the United States and don't have the pockets of intense poverty, homelessness, broken healthcare systems, et cetera, that we have in the United States. And so people really do need to focus in on local elections. And it'd be great maybe if we did have more centralized, strong federal government to deal with those kind of endemic problems, but we don't. We have powerful local state governments. And so everything Rachel's saying is spot on. I did have a question for Rachel. Uh, just to clarify for the audience, my understanding is that all the statewide races are on May 3rd in Ohio, plus federal races, so congressional races, but just it's the state assembly and state senate races that are um, going to be in August sometime, correct? Correct, yes. So everyone who's voting right now is voting on governor, they're voting on secretary of state, and then all the congressional races. And then sometime, probably in August, maybe after, we're going to have a separate primary for the state ledge races, which is wild. That is going to cost, and Alan, that is going to cost the taxpayers of the state $20 million. Yes, ma'am, it is. Crazy. It's crazy. And it's also, though, it is for everybody who wants another reason to get optimistic and to really, really throw in for Nina Turner. Nina, one of the things that happened last time is Republicans were free to choose which race they voted in in the special election last August. Now Republicans within Ohio 11th will almost certainly vote in the Republican primary because there's a contested race for U.S. Senate, highly contested. It's an open That's seat. Exactly right. That's another exactly reason. right. All right. So, thank you. Thank I'm going to go to favor the people in Florida and Ohio, and then we'll go to the general list. So Wendy, you're in Florida, and Steve Caruso, you're in Ohio. Go ahead, Wendy. You're muted. Um, go ahead. Okay. Thank there you. you Thanks so much. Um, yeah, I have a, a few things, like such a stimulating conversation. Um, so yeah, just to address the, um, the maps in Florida, um, because there's there's something that is kind of like the underlying thing that's that's happening here is that okay so um Nicole was right and we're we're neighbors by the way we chatted a little bit which was yeah. great um so yes uh the the representative okay so the, the Florida state constitution st says that they, they it charges the legislature with the power of drawing the district maps and they did and they made maps that were pretty much in here like adhere to what they've historically been. And um, they passed the Supreme, the state Supreme Court judicial review and got the green light that they're, they're kosher. And then the, the governor like kept vetoing and kept vetoing. And then he met, made his own maps and called a special session. Like it's supposed to happen in regular session that they passed yeah. this and here we are special session. And um, he's basically forcing the, the legislature because we're not gonna have, we, we, this is undecided because we got another seat. So we have to make new maps because now we have a new representative. So basically under duress, the legislature is being forced to vote on these invalid maps that this guy doesn't even have the jurisdictional authority to, to do. This is completely unconstitutional. So in my opinion, the veto itself is invalid and void. And could, if people know how to attack it in court properly. Um, and a number of lawsuits were filed on Friday, the day he signed the bill into law. It just it depends how fast they move. 
Yeah, and a lot of them are like freedom of speech ones, but I don't know if anyone's actually catching the angle that he doesn't even have the power to do that. And I just really other quick, the reason I raised my hand, I just want to, before the, the before Nina goes, I'm hoping that since this is a gree-gree talk, that maybe he, she could just in, in address some sustainability and um, renewable green talk <laughs> at okay. some point. Thanks Great. so much, we'll everyone. Thank you, Wendy. Uh, Steve Caruso and in Florida, the, the redistricting is responsible to the legislature, not a commission like Ohio. Is that correct? So it's the legislature amongst themselves, even though they're all Republicans, still have to create maps regardless so forth. Yeah, but we had, we had referenda in both states that reformed the process, and they're completely ignoring it. I mean, you know, that we in both states, significant pop, popular votes were, were, were won to reform the districting process. And in both states, uh, the Republicans have stepped in and sabotaged the process and, and completely gerrymandered the, the two states to the effect that these two, the gerrymandering margins in these two states could decide control of the U.S. Congress. That's where we're at in direct opposition to the, the uh, clearly stated uh, wishes of, of the general electorate. It's outrageous. Uh, Mary Stonewall, you've had your hand up. Uh, Danette and Justin. Oh, Sluggo, I was next. Sorry. Oh, Dan Danette, go ahead then. Yeah, I had a really quick question for Rachel. Um, what is the um, kind of the report from the ground for the Secretary of State races across, there's like 23 um that are kind of up for grabs and a lot of them are trump loyalists and um, what is your what is your feedback and what is your sense on how that's going to go yes yeah, so for folks who don't know the secretary of state is the person who runs all of your state's elections they are crucial and they are very much an overlooked race people often forget to vote in those races because they don't know who their secretary of state is and there's a lot of trump loyalists all across the country running for that office now to try and be in charge of elections I can only tell you what's happening in Ohio, uh, but I can tell you that our our race is very, very scary uh, because the guy who has been our secretary of state for the last couple of years has gone full Trump loyalist in the last couple of years, which was not how he ran. He ran as a moderate uh, who used to be a member of the Ohio Senate and is now just, he is the guy who made it so that we can only have one ballot drop box per county. He made people drive all across the county hours to get to their ballot drop box during the pandemic. He really has been just, and he's on this redistricting commission and has repeatedly voted for unconstitutional maps um, and is now running for reelection against uh, a woman named Chelsea Clark, who does not have very high name ID and is going to need support on the ground. Uh, so we are definitely fighting that fight in Ohio, and I'm sure others can talk about their states having the same issues on the ground in their, in their states with this critical state races. Well, I'll point out also that uh, Maureen O'Connor the, the heroic Republican Chief Justice of the Ohio Supreme Court, uh, who has blocked these terrible maps, uh, is retiring. She's termed out. And uh, one of the people running for Chief Justice is a woman, a Republican woman named Kennedy, who is, uh, you know, she's Marley Taylor Green, whatever her name is, uh, reincarnated. She is absolutely horrifying. So, you know, it's, it's really a nightmare here. Um, uh, okay, thank you for that, both of you. Uh, thank you, Danette. Um, uh, Mary Stonewall has been waiting, and then um, yeah, uh, uh, Jeffrey. Mary, go ahead. Yeah. 
Yeah, I just wanted to say uh, we need to like push for uh, Biden to actually put some kind of mandate that no longer can private parties or corporations lobby anywhere on the Hill. It's only supposed to be U.S. citizens, basic citizens, or if anything, nonprofits. But we shouldn't have private corporations or or corporations or private uh, people that have their own hidden agenda being able to lobby anywhere and take away our rights behind closed doors. I'm with you on that. Very well spoken. Oh, thank you, Jeffrey. And then um, uh, John Seeley. Jeffrey? You Justin, actually. But uh, so, so yes, uh, Nicole, you mentioned uh, about Broward County. Uh, yes. It's important to mention that on this call, John Brakey from Arizona is working with Susan Pinchon from York County. Okay. They've had lawsuits going through to force ballot images. And uh, that has uh, the potential to reveal that uh, what the actual uh, majority of Florida really is. Um, and these machines that do the counting uh, also have the ballot images included, they're being deleted. And so uh, it's, it's actually, you know, destroying public records for the sake of uh, hiding malfeasance in the end, we think. But uh, the, uh, and John is here, so he can speak to uh, more details on that. Uh, but I wanted to say that that is a large part. And then uh, another part is, as Nina talked about, uh, you know, giving people reasons like that to show up, yes, there is hope. Toward. Thank you for that, Justin. Um, uh, uh, John Brakey, do you want to comment directly on that? Oh, I certainly will. You know, it's a real pleasure to jump on this call to find two of my favorite people there, Nicole Sander and also Nina Turner, which uh, I've met Nina several times over the years. And, uh, and I'm very interested in what we're going to try to do in Broward County. Uh, in Florida, okay, we are in litigation with them already, Nicole, and mm -hmm. we're also negotiating with Palm with Miami-Dade because the eight largest counties in your state are destroying public records that could prove the elections are real. And by the way, that's where 58% of all the people of color in your state live. You yep. kind of get a few. And, you know, Miami-Dade is an interesting county because there's a progressive running it, an amazing lady, okay? And, uh, and we hope to be able to get her to open her eyes to see how she has been deceived by the people working with her, claiming that saving ballot images uh, could cause late results coming in when we know it's all crap. And somebody may be protecting their right to cheat or they could be protecting their incompetency. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, uh, let's face it, in this country, you know, people talk about how high of a turnout we had in 2020. Well, in 120 years, it was the highest turnout percentagely. But 80 million people didn't vote. A lot of those people believe that if elections made a difference, they wouldn't let us do it. That's Mark Twain's quote. OK, and I'm one of those people. And so it is a time of change. And I'm pretty proud to tell everybody on this call we are within a few votes away that Arizona will become the first state that will have elections that could be transparent, trackable, publicly verified with a ballot library. Imagine uh, elections that we can believe in. I wonder how many more people might vote if they knew that. 
how many better candidates could we get? Okay. And, you know, when it comes to uh, Ohio, uh, you know, I really, uh, uh, you know, in Cuyahoga County has always been my sister county. My brother uh, lives there. My nephew runs Breaky Energy. Uh, you know, my nie my niece, okay. his wife, runs Breaky Law, and we okay. want to be able to break the Breaky method there. Well, you and you should be in. Uh, I don't know if you know Nina Turner, if you've worked with her, but you should be in direct contact with her as you are with the people in Florida, so that we can protect that election. And and Alan and, and Nina, I hope you'll facilitate opening up direct communications with John Brakey because his experiences on the law, on the ground in protecting elections are critical. And uh, certainly if we can protect Cuyahoga County, we can protect a lot. Okay, so John and, and, and Alan, I'm sure you're in touch, but- Yeah, sure, we, we even got to meet him. You need to be aware of John Brakey and his work and, as well, Rachel. It's absolutely uh, essential to protecting elections. Uh, thank you for that, John. Um, uh, we had Jeff and then John Seeley. Does anybody else want to chime in? We're almost to seven o'clock. We still have 83 people on the call, for God's sakes. Uh, so we can go another 10 minutes anyway, if uh, people want to chime in. Um, uh, I'm sure that Mike and Steve are, are just about exhausted. Uh, but um, um, did we have Jeffrey Barkdale or John Seeley still available? And anybody else want to chime in? Please raise your hand. Uh, Harvey, um, it's Alan here. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah, no, I got to meet John, uh, right? John, we met at a, at a meeting over at Jan Goodman's the other day. And um, John's work is, as far as I can tell, completely exemplary. Yes, and, it is. Uh, yeah, and I, um, you know, I've been somebody who's been around um, uh, Brad Friedman for years and Mimi Kennedy and heard their back and forths and back and forths about election integrity. And, and uh, John's... Um, proposal seems to be, um, uh, boy, it's late. <laughs> it's late in this uh, day for me. I've done a bunch of interviews because the article came out today and I'm not thinking straight, but it's- uh, Where is your article, uh, uh, Alan? Where is your article oh, published? The article's on Common Dreams. It was written with Harvey J.K., Professor J.K., who was on the call earlier. Um, I'll put the link back in the chat. Yes, please do. Absolutely. And, uh, but yeah, no, it's a great, it's a great proposal by, by John and um, it just seems, you know, airtight. Um, well, with, I, with I, Nina, I can't see the flaws in it. So it's, with it's Nina really on sharp. the ground in Ohio, and you know, uh, historically, uh, the Ohio legislature has had a, a required lobotomy uh, before you can sit. So hopefully, we can get rid of that. And um, um, and Nina especially would be critical. If we don't have Jeffrey or John Seeley, uh, does anyone else want to chime in here? I'm We're here. At the top of the hour. Uh, oh, there's Jeffrey. Okay, Jeffrey Barkdo, please. Sorry, I was sorry. I, they wouldn't let me unmute. Here we go. Go, go for it. This is for Rachel Coyle. Go ahead. Off. Go. Who? First off, who'd you say was in charge of our elections? The Secretary of State. Theoretically, the Secretary of State. Yes. <clears throat> and then I would say that the Ohio Secretary of State decided the 2004 presidential election. His name was J. Kenneth Blackwell. He, he flipped the state of Ohio in a dozen, about a hundred different ways, actually. Uh, he thankfully is gone, but um, uh, Frank LaRose, uh, who uh, Rachel has described, has turned into a monster. So uh, what can I tell you? 
Okay, Jeffrey, what else? Is that, was that your question? Uh, Jeffrey Barto, uh, um, uh, and we had- I'm uh, here, I'm here, I'm here. They put me back. They all right, go ahead, I, go, 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 please. Second, secondly, do you, think that, do you think those people should be, those, pe those Secretary of State should be held accountable for trying to regular elections or that kind of thing? Like, for example, be, pro be prosecuted for any crimes against democracy, my new idea for crimes against democracy if they break, break any. You know well, I, mean? I like that phrase, crimes against democracy. Uh, Rachel, um, uh, are we going to have Frank LaRose arrested in uh, in Ohio? Well, here in Ohio, it's actually, at, we're at a stage now where the Ohio Supreme Court could potentially hold the redistricting commissioners, which includes Frank LaRose, in contempt of court uh, for breaking the law at rejecting so many Supreme Court orders so many different times. So it's possible that they could order jail time um, or extensive fines on a daily basis. So he is uh, definitely on the chopping block for that kind of penalty here in Ohio, at least. Um, again, can't talk to you about other states, but it's it's a real possibility. Uh, people like reporters and very serious folks have been having conversations about logistically who would arrest for example, the governor or the secretary of state, if that were to be ordered. We'll see if it well, actually happens, but. The governor, Mike DeWine, is among those who could be held in contempt, but his son is on the Supreme Court. Yes. So yes, yes. <laughs> slight, uh, slight conflict there. Listen, I, I want, oh, Sandy Bozenius, go ahead. Sandy, long ago I overlooked you, so hopefully we can uh, uh, lower, uh, 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 write this wrong. Sandy, go ahead. You've been apologizing all those months. I'm getting a lot of mileage out of this. Um, so anyway, yeah, this is to Nina Turner. And I put it in the chat because I didn't know if I'd have time to talk to you. But um, move to amend Ohio. is looking to see you that you pledge to amend the Constitution to say corporations are not people and money is not speech. You were robbed. That election was yours. I watched it fully. I'm from Columbus. I watched it the entire time. You were robbed. And, and um, it can't happen, this shouldn't be happening. So I put it in the chat, if you could look at it, I'd really appreciate it. And um, I'm gonna do some phone banking for you. Um, love you, good luck on it. Please pledge to amend to amend the constitution to say corporations are not people and money is not speech. Thanks. Well, thank you. And of course the, the line is that we will know that corporations are people when Texas executes one. Uh -huh. So um, uh, <laughs> that's what we need. Does anyone else? Oh, Wendy, you got your hand up again, Wendy Lederman. Dr. Strauss is here. Go ahead. Okay, we have uh, Dr. Ruth and Wendy. Uh, let's let Dr. Ruth go, and then Wendy, you're next. We're we're going to cut it off in five minutes at seven ten. So uh, go ahead, uh, uh, Dr. Ruth. Um, yeah, I just wanted. I don't know whether John Brakey is still on the call, but it is actually absolutely breathtaking that they got quote unquote, you know, normal, honest elections in Arizona, because people should recall that that was the state that had the cyber ninjas, which turned out to be one guy who made a $400,000 mortgage payment, you know, and then took the um, ballots up to Montana or somewhere. Uh, it was the craziest scene of all. So the fact that he and actually uh, Ray Lutz also uh, actually were physically in the gymnasium where these votes were being counted. And so there's a big, you know, tribute to be paid to them. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask Rachel, but anybody can answer, 
Um, we have a registrar here in Los Angeles who spent like, I don't know, $3 million on voting machines that um, a, an outside company found 43 faults and seven of them, of them quote unquote, fatal security faults. Um, are, are the county registrars elected or are they appointed? I'm, I'm sorry, I don't know that. Ooh, I, that is a great question. I don't know. I don't either. Let's find out for next week. Yeah, we can find that'll out. Be a, that'll be a take a take home exam. Uh, thank <laughs> you, Ruth, for that. Um, uh, Wendy Lederman, I think you'll be the last unless someone else pops up. Wendy, go ahead. Oh, okay, thank you. <laughs> Thanks so much. Um, okay, I'll, I'll try to make this really quick. Um, I so appreciate everybody. Nina, thank you so much for being here. Rachel, your guys are work is so awesome. Um, I really, really appreciate um, Harvey and John particularly for um, always maintaining um, how important it is to, to have bi bipartisan relationships. And I know we don't negotiate with terrorists and all that, but I think <laughs> moving forward, um, I think that it's, I really hope that, um, that Nina's campaign can work with John and Ray and that could really normalize and we could work across the aisles of having true election integrity. And that also brings me to the point of um, the rooftop solar and net metering and how um, we're waiting any day in Florida for um, HR uh, 741 to reach the governor's desk for him to sign it. And I think it's really important if progressives call his office and say, hey, look, you know, and again, I know it's crazy. We don't negotiate with terrorists, but in order for us to, to get anything done, like, I think there are some issues that we can put a lot of pressure on them and say, hey, like, let's let's work together on this. If DeSantis vetoes, you know, if he's running for president and he vetoes the solar thing and and keep in mind that net metering is democratization of power. Quote me on that. <laughs> um, it, it's it's really when you have what net metering it is. I'll, I'll be really quick. Is um when you have extra solar energy that your house is producing, you have to give it back to the utility grid. You can't sell it. You can't start a co-op. You can't give it to anybody but the grid. And what net net metering does is it gives you money for this commodity that you've produced that they're going to resell to their customers. When they end net metering and they refuse to give you any money for the commodity you produced, they're essentially stealing from you. And with a monopoly on the entire business of solar, which I don't know what makes it any different than selling apples or anything else, the utility companies have complete control. With We can't afford, people can't afford their air conditioning. They can't afford heat gas and their fracking. We know this is terrible. So please, I'll put DeSantis's um, contact in the chat. Contact him. Make sure you keep up with net metering and solar energy. And maybe Nina can use this as a campaign issue for everyone to come together and we can unite as purple people power and get past this whole divide and conquer and get John Brakey and Ray Lutz. And you guys are so amazing. I love you all. Thank you so much. And thank read you. Harvey's new book. It's amazing, by the way, People Spiral of the U.S. History. Well, thank you for that. I appreciate that. And my plan for Cleveland, uh, I don't know if Nina is still with us, uh, is uh, that uh, Cleveland should become the world hub of, of wind energy, because they have Lake Erie right there, lots of empty um, uh, factory space. The actual, the first wind turbine to generate electricity was invented in Cleveland, and it's still there, actually. It's, it should go on the, on the state house lawn. It's, uh, it was done by Charles Brush in the 1880s. So listen, uh, next week, we are gonna have a major run. Thank you, Wendy, for that on on renewables, we're going to talk about the the war against uh, solar and the uh, the movement led by Tatanka and others at the Christic Institute to completely solarize California, which I think we're going to win, um, and I think we're going to defeat the uh, the war on solar. We have big big problems in New York, 
and in Florida, as Wendy has pointed out. Uh, Ron, do you want to comment on that? Then we'll go to George Whipley, and then we're going to go on out because we're at 710. I got to run too, 